All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys, on the line, I've got Seymour Hirsch now writing at Substack. And of course, the big exclusive is how America took out the Nord Stream pipelines. And that's at seymourhirsch.substack.com. Welcome back to the show, Sai. How you doing? Yeah, you know, hanging in there. Good. All right, so look, when they blew up the pipeline, whoever it was, TV said the Russians obviously blew up their own pipeline. Everyone knows that, but now you're reporting otherwise. You say that America had the means, motive, and the opportunity to blow up the Nord Stream pipelines. That's three out of four of the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines. So do tell your story, please, sir. Well, I can tell it quickly. Um, um, I don't think what the media did was um, follow the lead of the White House. There were some briefings. Um, the White House effort was blown up. There was a news conference and uh, with Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor. And he then, somebody asked if we thought the Russians did it. And he did all the usual stuff. Well, it sounds like the Russians, looks like the Russians. That's about all they did. Um, look, uh, Scott, I, I, I would guess a lot of people in the audience might, might know the next couple of sentences, but I'm going to say them anyway, which is that Beginning in about a year and a half ago, two years ago, um, uh, in late 2001, it looked clear like Russia was, uh, that Putin was going to come and invade. Uh, he'd been talking about it, been threatening because of the, uh, not without some cause, but of course, I don't think there's ever enough cause to start the, the bloodiest war since the uh, end of World War II in, um, in uh, Europe. But that's a separate issue. Uh, he certainly was um, uh, not without not without cause. We'd certainly been expanding NATO when we promised him in 1970 after Germany moved, and we put the new new Germany, the both East and West together. We put him. We allowed Gorbachev allowed the East and West to join NATO, which is a, a defense treaty against Russia, really, the Warsaw Pact. And the deal was that we wouldn't expand further east. And uh, what became uh, West. Uh, NATO was a Western Euro European protection society. And now it's, you know, it's it's expanded all over Spain, countries in the Caucasus, you know, you name it. It's just expanded way beyond the original um, um, border, original idea. More than that, it also expanded more closer, more to the east uh, to uh, Russia. Everything we said we wouldn't do. But that's, just, you know, whether that's enough to justify bombing and killing, I don't know. But you can certainly, it wasn't without some justification. Plus, we also put missiles that we call defensive, but everybody in the community knows that in overnight overnight you can turn them into offensive weapons. And your eight, they were eight they were in Poland about eighty miles from the border or eighty kilometers, and they were um, eight hundred miles or so uh, from downtown Moscow, which means that um, you know I don't know eight nine seven eight nine minutes you know to, to wipe out Moscow to you know the the kind of power. Our new nu uh, nuclear weapons—it's just uh, you know—you can't you can't imagine it. Hundred times more than Hiroshima, et cetera, et cetera. You know the story. And so, um, all of this was going on. <laughs> and the problem we always had is Biden um, uh, threw hard, threw every all the dice in on supporting Ukraine, 
when um, um, when um, Russia finally decided they have enough of Ukraine and Ukraine aggressiveness, and they were just the Russians always treated Ukraine like like second class citizens. I, I if I, if you remember in the 1930s, of course you don't remember, but we read about it in the 1930s. There was a famine there. Stalin took control so russia stalin took control of all of the grain and two million ukrainians starved to death in the in the in the in the, in the great fields of the caucasus believe me and there's a lot of justification for a lot of bad blood but we're not talking about we're talking about somebody that goes beyond bad blood we're right now in a situation where it's getting close to uh, uh I, I i if you read the new york times and washington post you wouldn't know how bad it is i can tell you you know i i, I know people who know things, and I always have, and uh, their view of the war is so much worse than um, that you read in the newspapers. Uh, we're in real trouble in Ukraine. And one of the issues that underlies the whole pipe thing is the fact that Biden you know, is getting a great deal of money. We spent, the, I think it's really about $100 billion is what I hear, have gone in there. God knows how much got to the original place because of corruption. There quite a bit was, was, was I guarantee, filtered off. I, actually, I know it was. And I know the our community knows about it and doesn't like it. And I, I assume Biden does know it too, but that doesn't matter. He keeps him pumping. And you've got a Democratic Congress which is now for the war. When I was doing stuff about war in, in the Vietnam days, the Democrats were against it. There were some a great chunk of moderate Republicans, which don't do don't exist very much anymore, that were also supporting it. The 1973 War Powers Act that ordered the, the president, that basically kept the president from spending troops in there without congressional authority, hard and fast, uh, was written by a, a Republican, moderate Republican senator, was pushed by him in, in from, uh, I think, Kentucky. And so it's it's a different world now. And um, and the, the, word, the fear is that Biden and his gaggle, you know, Sullivan and and uh, um, the Secretary of State Blinken and Undersecretary Victoria Nuland, just a, they just—it's a constant barrage against Russia, a constant barrage against China, and it's gotten to the point where it may not be. It's, it, well, it doesn't matter. It's gotten to the point where there's a lot of concern about it. Uh, I, a lot of people I know who know more history than I do, think of 1914. They think it, we could trigger something really bad, but that's only background. So, in 2021, in before Christmas, and. Uh, the Russians are definitely moving troops up there. They haven't, you know, and we're still thinking we can do something. And so anyway, back in, in those days, the, Jake Sullivan convened a, a little you know, a group of experts. You know, he called for a little panel. Uh, they met in the secret room over in the executive office building, which was right next to the White House. And um, it was the CIA, NSA, State Department, Treasury Department, the Joint Chiefs, all those various services, perhaps not that many services, but the Joint Chiefs. And the issue is, and I use the language of the meeting because that will that would that should convince people I actually did have something. The issue was we want something to do that Jake says the president wants some recommendations for what, what we can do to convince the Russians not to go. And they should basically be uh, issues that we can rescind or options that are not rescindable. In other words, something you can rescind would be a um, would be a, a sanction. Something that's you know not rescindable uh, would be kinetic, and eventually it got to maybe the pipelines is an option, and they liked it. The White House liked it, and and this is a very secret, you know, basically covert uh, operation was set up, and we went right away to Norway, 
And uh, I'm, I have to tell you, I was I didn't know that much about Norway, but um, uh, I did the story that you mentioned three weeks ago, and I've been following it and for with a couple of different stories. And a couple of days ago, I published another story on my little Substack thing, which is amazing. I never thought of, by the way, of going to the New York Times or Washington Post or my old magazine, The New Yorker, with this. It's just a different time. It wouldn't have gone anywhere. Yeah, leave um, them in the dust. Well, they they are in the dust, really, right now on this stuff. They still haven't figured it out that they better get going on the story. And what I wrote a couple of days ago was that the Norwegians had been with us early in the Gulf, in the Vietnam War. They've been running, helping us run covert operations in 1950, before 1964, before there was a declared war, before we bombed North Vietnam. It was just the South. We knew we knew the North was helping. And, uh, but the North hadn't committed yet. They hadn't started sending troops down the Ho Chi Minh Trail. But we were just doing all kinds of stuff for them, going in and uh, had SEALs going in and not trying to knock out radar facilities. None of that was known. And um, and so there's an, an, the Norwegians have been there for us, uh, down and dirty. And actually, the, I now know from getting a lot of letters from people, the Norwegian uh, work with us uh, undercover. Uh, to provoke the the idea was to provoke the North North so they would respond and we could bomb them. They didn't respond, but we we lied about some. We lied. We, Johnson told a lie and said we'd been attacked at when we hadn't been on television. It's just horrible stuff. Got us into a war that killed what two and three million Vietnamese and fifty eight thousand Americans with untold wounded and untold guys walking around with with brain damage. You know, half crazy because of the war. Uh, who knows? But just the. the the point being, there was a premise for practice, you know, maybe Democratic presidents acting irrationally when they, they wanted war. They really wanted war. Maybe for re-election purposes, I just don't know. I don't know what's in his head, Biden's head. Anyway, so they convened this group, and the group said, we can do it. Uh, we can do it. We we have the people. We know some We know some guys that can get in the water, very good guys. I, I, I began my story writing about a, 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 a place in Florida where we train deep-sea miners. Um, the Navy does. It's a great place. The, the miners that come out, the, the guys who go down, the divers are just amazing. Not these, they're not miners, they're divers. The guys that go down are just the best and the brightest in a funny way. Uh, they they never talk. I mean, you don't see, you don't see, a, you see Navy SEALs in movies, they're jumping in the water. These guys, these guys call SEALs, uh, like, they call them flipper, like flipper, the, the SEAL, you know, they, they make fun of the SEALs because they said, among other things, they're just swimmers who always talk on television after they do a secret mission. These, anyway, so we had it going. And so flash forward, um, the team's able to do it. They find a time where they can do it covertly. The Norwegians are helping to find the, the Baltic Sea. The targets are these two huge pipes uh, that sending the, the German uh, Germany is an industrial powerhouse. It has the most, the largest BASF, the largest chemical company in the world, 100,000 employees, Mercedes, BMWs, all these fancy cars. It's a powerhouse and they need a lot of fuel. So in, uh, in 2011, Nord Stream 1, the first main pipeline directly from, from Russia, 750 miles down or whatever it is, down east-west. I, I always got confused on maps. Uh, to, to Germany, to a port in Germany. No stops. It just goes. And that began producing from 2011 on until until it was shut down by Putin a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, in anger at us for a start, all the language and all the provocation. This is before the war actually began. 
Uh, and that produced incredible amounts of the Germans actually had so much gas on that one pipeline they could they they were retailing it. They had a company that resold it <laughs> for a profit. And the the and the, the first pipeline was owned by Gazprom, which is the big oil company and gas company in uh, owned by oligarchs. And of course, tons of money went flowing back. Not not to Putin. It went to the Russian, uh, uh, I guess, Treasury. And one year it was forty five billion dollars. Uh, just from half interest. The other half interest were stockholders, four different companies from Europe who took the, the cheap gas and um, retailed it, They what they call downstream, sold it to other uh, gas companies all over all over Europe. So the whole, everybody, the European continent was just floating. They have no resources there. You have to say, the, Europe has always looked to us for leadership after World War II and NATO, uh, in financing and all, all military stuff. They've looked to us. And so, uh, one pipeline is gone. Another one, Nord Stream 2, is brand new. It was ready to go in late in 2001. And I, under our pressure, the, it was going directly to Germany. And the German government, headed by, I guess, uh, uh, Chancellor Schultz was there, the one who is chancellor now, who's going to be coming, I think, this week, next week to Washington to show what a good little one-trick pony he is and sit with the president and say how wonderful things are. And of course, you know, we're happy with everything that happened. Um, and they they had the right to open it. It was just sitting there. And in the fall, in late fall, September the 26th, nine months. So these guys make the pipeline go, and their purpose in doing it, the covert group, was to give was to give the president more more assets to um, to use and to try and convince uh, Putin not to attack. That's what they thought was the rele- relevant person. We have the capability to do it. And Putin actually. Uh, um, uh, I don't know if he heard it or not, but it was certainly out there. Biden, in February, two weeks before the war began, February the 7th, mm-hmm. at a press conference said, if they start this war, we can take out Nord Stream 1 and we have the means to do it. We know how to do it, which really irritated the guys in the covert world. You know, they're in Norway trying to figure out what they're, you know, trying to figure out how to do it. They knew they could do it, but they needed the right time. You can't jump, uh, sail a ship and have miners Guys, and they're not deep sea, but guys that just only 260 feet of water. We they could do it. They could do it. They can go down and come up if there's a, a decompression chamber uh, without stopping. Otherwise, they'd have to stop every 90 feet. But they 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 know what they're doing. But you know, there's no oil in the Baltic Sea, so you just can't have a bunch of miners show up. You needed a cover. And that summer there was a NATO exercise, and uh, with some adroit thinking. Uh, the boys, the boys doing the operation, uh, somehow persuaded somebody there to have a research and development exercise in mine hunting. So there was a two-week exercise, NATO exercise. Every summer, it's been going on in the Baltic Sea, run by the Sixth Fleet, which controls NATO there, um, and uh, all the NATO sea there. And in the midst of all these guys dropping mines and trying to blow them up and all that crap, these guys went and they planted the mines. And they planted they planted timers on it, so the president could call when he wanted to. Well, not really mines, right? You just mean I beg your pardon. Well, they're not mines. They were they're they're di- they're C four dynamite. I just so, want to make sure that nobody criticized you that over a little over oh, a little I flub make, like I, that later or whatever. Go well, ahead. Let me tell you, when you do what I've done, I do so much talking now. You know, so many requests for interview. You know, I understand. Hard. I, I understand. I just want to make sure everybody's clear what happened. You're saying they went and planted explosives on the pipes. Sir. No, it was actually C4, a big dose, enough to knock down a building in New York, I've got to tell you. Hey, can you because tell me why they blew up three out of four? Was that because there was a failure? It's, 
No, because I was just going to say, one of the problems you have when you leave it underwater for a long time, um, uh, salinity, et cetera, things can go wrong. And uh, initially, uh, Biden uh, wanted to uh, blow him up in June. That was the plan, that so they understood. But he changed his mind at the last minute. And so they had to figure out a way to keep the um, the, the explosive viable and not have him trigger. You know, there, it's all done by low-frequency signals. And it's very primitive, even though I, I, it's not as primitive as I'm going to tell you. But when you were a kid, you had all these games. I'm just going to get a book here. You had all these games where they go to one room and another. You had to go knock, 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 knock. You know that? Do you ever play that game as a kid? No, but go ahead. Did you, you have brothers and sisters? I do Did have a sister, right? Yeah. Remember, I had a sister in order to, I have to go knock, knock. She was older, which means that she wanted nothing to do with me, but you have to knock, 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 knock. You know what I mean? Okay. And anyway, that's what the signal is. And the more you keep it in the water, there's heavy boats. It's a lot of commercial commerce in that um, in that Baltic Sea. And they all do, well, they fre frequently talk by low frequency. You can trigger the mine inadvertently the more it's in the water. Plus, it can get corroded. So three of the four worked. One didn't blow up because it, obviously the water got to it in some way, even though they tried their best not to. President finally authorizes in late September. And at that point, the guys can't figure out what the hell's going on. It wasn't there to scare the Russians and talk about of it. Uh, why do you want to do it then? And then it turns out, I mean, uh, I can tell you I was much angry about it because um, he did it because, as he knew, as he'd been told, the war in Ukraine, despite what the newspapers have been saying about the great offense of that summer, was a, at the best was going to be... Um, um, uh, a complete, uh, uh, um, uh, it was going to be a, just a no man, it's going to be no win, no lose. It's going to be stalemated at, at the very best. And the odds are, as, as Putin got, to, he, he did the draft and it was protest, but he got a hundred, over 100,000 more people in there. And they have much more. Don't forget, in America, we, if we want to get weapons into, into uh, in a fast way, into uh, the Ukraine is a as uh, we put a hundred billion dollars in there. We have to go to our, uh, contract it with outside contractors and you know business people, and uh, get a contract and have it negotiated when to start, when the end, kind of fees. Well, in Russia, it's the state owned. He gets he can get arms a lot faster. It's you know a little bit like we did in World War II when we just converted uh, the Ford factory and everything into into defense factories and we produced you know a ship a week and all sorts of planes every day. So he can produce more. It's it's going to be over. It's going to be very bad, and it's going to be very over, and it's going to be very bad for Biden politically and his little gang of boys. Uh, um, Newland, well, she's not a boy. Um, uh, you know, Robert Kagan's Biden. wife. So yeah, well, yeah, well, you know who he is. Yeah, and what he, he's one of those geniuses that the thought after nine eleven, um, the way to get after Al Qaeda was to go and. Uh, destroy Iraq, which was led by an awfully bad man. Yeah. But the one thing he hated. <laughs> well, she worked than, for Dick Cheney at that time. So. Well, but but he 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 had, couldn't stand Muslim Muslim radicals. He, no. he was you know that's not his bit. Like anyway, we did. It doesn't matter what we did then because we that was his dumb. You know, and I know somebody named Biden that supported that war very much, but a lot of people did not. Yeah, you did. And yeah, so did Hillary Clinton. Hang on, just one second. Hey, y'all. The audiobook of my book, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism, is finally done. Yes, of course, read by me. It's available at Audible, Amazon, Apple Books, and soon on Google Play and whatever other options there are out there. It's my history of America's war on terrorism from 1979 through today. Give it a listen and see if you agree. 
it's time to just come home. Enough already. Time to end the war on terrorism. The audiobook. Hey guys, I've had a lot of great webmasters over the years, but the team at expanddesigns.com have by far been the most competent and reliable. Harley Abbott and his team have made great sites for the show and the Institute, and they keep them running well, suggesting and making improvements all along. Make a deal with expanddesigns.com for your new business or news site. They will take care of you. Use the promo code SCOTT and save $500. That's expanddesigns.com. Man, I wish I was in school so I could drop out and sign up for Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom instead. Tom has done such a great job on putting together a classical curriculum for everyone from junior high schoolers on up through the postgraduate level. And it's all very reasonably priced. Just make sure you click through from the link in the right margin at scotthorton.org. Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. Real history, real economics, real education. Uh, and so here's the issue. And here's why this story it has, it has a shelf life that, I, I, that was predictable. Because once you get past the original lies and no lies and all about it, the fact of the matter is that what he did in late September, and I think I've done the best I can. I think at that time, it's pretty clear there were briefings talking about stalemate. And he was also very worried that fall was coming and that the Germans controlled. They had, sens- they had censured, Germany had censured that new pipeline. The other one was gone. Putin had shut it down in rage. He claimed there was a, a one of the pumps didn't work and all that, but the truth is he shut it down. So th- they needed that pipeline. Uh, they had some reserves in Germany and Western Europe, but basically that pipeline kept people, kept the factories humming and people warm at a cheap price. Right now, I have to tell you, it's five times as much to get electricity, which is which is created by uh, gas-driven, you know, um, uh, turbines. You had, uh, I think it's four times as much in Italy, three to four times, and it's getting up there in Germany, you know, three, it's getting up, I mean, the prices are just going sky high, even though there's still winter there, but it'll be better in a couple of months, there'll be spring, it's still cold. And um, and people are increasingly angry because if, if the Chancellor Schultz had decided, Germany, because of this, still because of World War II, and you know the fact that spent a decade, you know, burning, raping, and and destroying Europe, and they were very cheery there about military, having a military rearming, and they were under pressure, a lot of pressure, from uh, Biden to put money in arms. Now they want more tanks. Remember, he was reluctant about that because there's a lot of a lot of feeling in Germany. No, we don't we don't do that. We're not rearming anybody. And so I think Biden's fear, I'm just it's a thought, but it's also a sort of an ineluctable thought. Biden's fear and decision to do it then was he was afraid that that West Germany and NATO, some NATO countries might back off, pumping more money and, and stuff with the pipeline closed and being cold and might decide that isn't worth it. And and the, the Germans would open up the pipeline and stay warm and happy. That was his fear. So he blows it up to keep that option away from uh, Germans and from Western Europe. And if that's so, and that's what's being debated now, I, get, I, I stay out, I've never spoken... I speak to, I know congressmen, I'll talk to them privately, but I've never testified. And I've been asked a lot to go to the Bundestag, the parliament of Germany, and go to conferences and stuff like that. They're meeting a lot. I mean, it's not going to go well for Biden. Germany, the Western Europe always thought America had us back. We had the arms. As I said again, they have no natural gas and no oil. They have some coal, but basically 
-hmm. There's some nuclear stuff that they're shutting down because of the, after Three Mile Island, the famous mess we had here in America. And the one in Chernobyl, I mean, it's, it's nuclear power, unless it's really controlled by good people, you know, things happen anyway. And so I, it's clear that as time goes by, uh, uh, I get asked a lot of questions by American people. I get asked questions about, about what will happen. I mean, will some NATO countries quit NATO? Will Germany turn its back on us? Um, and 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 how the people are going to be increasingly angry. We we might get to this spring because there's still enough gas. They have a little bit left in reserve. Um, they managed to get up to 73% before the winter set, and it was a very mild winter. If you saw the photographs of no ski over Christmas at the ski areas. Uh, but next winter is not going to be so mild, and there's no reserves. And we did sell some liquefied natural ga gas to them uh, after we blew up the pipelines for two or three times. I think it was three times the normal price. Good old American, you know, capitalism at work. And because of COVID, China was not as productive and they sold us some liquefied. They sold Germany and Western Europe some gas. But China's going to get online and we're getting back online. And it's not going to be, you know, um, what can I tell you? It's going to be hell to pay. And it's going to be a real mess for this Joe Biden. So what's their solution to the story I broke? They can't say yes. They can't say, Mama, you got me. They're never going to acknowledge it. Never, never, never. They can't. Among other things, there's also the, under the law, there's, a, there's laws dating back to 1884, by the way, when we after we put down the first uh, uh, telegraph lines between us and Europe, uh, the Atlantic coast of Europe, if the telegraph just got going there. There was an international treaty we signed that anybody inadvertently or advertently or cut across a, of, of, of a line was, was liable for damages. And that was renewed in 1898. We signed it again. So we have signed legislation that would make us eligible, eligible to pay criminal charges. But we're talking about billions of dollars. But of course, we put $100 billion into the war. I mean, it's just amazing what's going on. And so he's probably done one of the dumbest things you can do. Panicked about Europeans staying loyal, uh, and they they understand and they're right. The, the guess would have been very in the fall. Uh, popularity for the war is is not going to stay high, and it's not. It's going you know more than half the country. I think it was some over fifty sixty sixty two or fifty two percent. I think it was sixty two are worried about the more commitments. Hundred billion dollars is a lot of money to put somewhere when you got people starving and and you know and not paying medical bills. It's just a, a, a massive miscalculation he's made, a huge mistake. Um, so I believe, but I'm just writing my stories. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, we're going to have a 1914 again. We're going to have somebody, you know, somebody, I don't know what the upshot's going to be, but it's, it's, uh, it's very dicey. And now you can ask me questions. Okay, oh, good. Yeah. yeah, that was my plan was to hear you out and then try and get yeah, some well, follow-ups. I was hoping you'd just ask me questions and, you know, do an intro so I don't have to talk so much. But Oh, okay, yeah. I, you were not hoping that. I know that. Yeah, well, I, I've interviewed oh. you a lot of times, Cy, and I know how you like to do it. And so I set it up this way on purpose. I thought that was oh, great. Man, and man. so now I, I wanted to point out oh, that... The devil incarnate. That's what you are right now me? for this yeah. moment. All right. But uh, we've made our deal and, and you're devil. getting your end. So it's all right. No, so I just wanted to point out that the Post and the Times both ran stories in December saying, yeah, probably Russia didn't do it. Well, that narrows the list of suspects to America's allies, or I don't know if you saw this, but Fiona Hill recently floated, maybe Ukraine you did it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, I'll tell you something. The thing about that story, 
that was so wonderful. What neither the post of the Times wrote, they didn't quote what Biden said in February and what what uh, the undersecretary Correct. Newland said. Right. They Newland said at the same time, right before Biden, that we could have the means to knock out Nord Stream two uh, by any means or something like that, by all means necessary. And Biden said directly, "We're going to take it out if yeah. they start the war." And in front that, of Schultz too, at a press conference with Schultz standing right there, he said that. Well, but the problem is, I looked at the Schultz quote. It was I support America and everything, and so I with this story I I didn't actually I had a very good editor who helped me. I didn't I uh, we we had a fight about it and I agreed. He didn't quite say what what Biden said, but I'll tell you Schultz's problem now. He's being asked and he's not answering so far. Was he told? Did he know they, they were going to take out the pipeline? Mm-hmm. What did he think about that? In other words, could he have? Could he was was he part of the process? That's going to leave Europe in real bad shape next yeah. winter. All right. Now, so get into this part of the mechanics of your story here, because it's confusing. Because you say that when Biden and Newland made these statements, that changed the nature of the classification from covert yeah. clandestine or some kind of thing that includes or excludes now military and or instead of CIA in the planning. And it oh. affects whether they have to report to Congress on any of these things, and it's really a mess. So please, uh, can you explain all that? Well, it's very simple to explain. Uh, as set up, it was a covert operation. And under the, the law, the law that, you know, that uh, if you think the laws, you know, the, the, the law says they have to get a finding. If the CIA is involved, they have to get a finding, and they have to present it to Congress to a, a, a select committee uh, a subcommittee of one of the one of the one of the uh, it's a subcommittee of the uh, finance uh, the appropriations committee has a little four man group and there's a clerk there. The findings have to go there, and they have to brief the eight members. The the uh, they have to brief the the four the the House and Senate majority and minority leaders. There's four and the four members, the four leaders of the House and, and Senate Intel Committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I I I would propose to you this incredibly daring thought that they often do not. They <laughs> yeah. And I would think with McCarthy there as as the House guy, I would think the Democrats would be they'd find a way. But what happened is once once Biden said it, the guys running it said, "Well, now it's no longer COVID up. It's now he said it, so it's no longer covert. So it's classified." It was unilaterally changed by the guys in the field. So it's that classified. Way, what I mean, if it was a covert op, it would still be classified. But you're saying now it's secret, but not covert. Oh, it's just top secret. We don't okay. have to tell Congress all. The, if it's all military, top secret. I and see. by the way, if there were people from one of the services, oh, in other there, words, once once they said that the CIA then took a lesser role and the military took the well, major role. No, 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 they just changed it. Okay. Just You're a matter shocked. of semantics was enough. No, it's a matter of keeping it away from goddamn Congress. Yeah, but I'm just saying by by changing it from one categorization from another. No, that was enough no. The, the, the fact of the matter is, um, it, it turns out that under, there is a provision that the CIA can have an operation, um, I'll be doing a classified operation. Not everything is covert, and if they call in a military unit, um, that's still that doesn't change it. If they called in the, if that's why, if they were going to use the seals to go upset the mines, which they were not going to anyway, the seals are the special operations command, and that command automatically calls for a uh, finding. 
under the law. I see. But I, I, I wrote in, in, six, in 2005 when I was working for the New Yorker and doing a lot of stuff based with, by the way, based totally on anonymous sources, as all the stuff I did in the New York Times was. So the whole thing about anonymous sources is just a way of saying, we're, we don't want to do this story. It's awkward for us. You know, maybe because we got a Democratic president. I'm talking about it at the New York Times and Washington Post. Come on, give me a break. That's just that's just to avoid doing it. And maybe they actually don't believe it. And, you know, I'm sure there's no love lost for me, but I couldn't care less. Because in 2005, um, I began writing about missions uh, that were standard CIA missions inside Iran, that by every def definition, involving SEALs that had to be briefed and they were not being briefed to the Congress, okay? And so there were a couple of senators that were, uh, I can say who it was, at that time, Richard Obey of, 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 uh, of Wisconsin, who had been chairman of the House Appropriations Committee for at least a dozen years, one of the most eminent members. He retired and he quit the last time he did his, uh, after Obama got elected. He's been retired for 10 years. A kind of guy that, you know, one day is, his office called me and they wanted to see me because I had I'd written in the New York Times about it. And he said, well, that stuff, I went to see him and he's one of the people that gets the findings. And there was another guy, uh, there was a um, uh, uh, another congressman that uh, is still around, so it doesn't matter who. There were just four guys who got it. And um, it's a very select sort of inside group. And he said, what the hell is going on? You know, who's doing this? And so I told him. You know, I didn't mention names. I didn't tell him who, why, how I learned, but I told him what was going on. And so he went on the floor. In the floor speech, he said, there's something going on, but these guys are not telling the Congress everything. And at this point, I'm stopping the funding for the Special Operations Command. That afternoon, he got a call from a senior guy close to President Bush. And the guy came to see him. Yeah, it was Andrew Card, the, the one-time card dealer that was a card dealer. Literally, it was one of Bush's inside pals. And I'm sure very, very competent. I'm not saying because he's a car dealer, he's incompetent, but I would say that he's not that experienced in government. And his, he was you know, the chief the of staff, right? Well, I don't know what his title was, but the chief, you understand the trick is for me, after I did Milai, the Milai reporting on the massacre, which was for a lot of people in that war, military, I was in the army and I couldn't believe army guys would do that. I couldn't believe that. I mean, I was a, I was an SS, I was a, one, 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 in, you know, basic infantryman carried a rifle, that kind of crap. Um, and uh, M16, whatever it was, could do it at night, blindfolded. So when he, Card comes, and he promises, don't stop the money, we'll start briefing you. And a couple of months later, um, Obi comes back to me and he said, they're lying to me. I'm, I'm writing this stuff. I'm not maybe mentioning all the names I'm mentioning because um, uh, I didn't. Um, and uh, Finally, it's cat and mouse for a little while, and he knows there's all these stuff going on. He knows the defying the law. And so he goes to see Cheney and Cheney's lawyer. What was his name? The tough lawyer he had. Addington. Yeah, Addington is there. And he goes to see him. This is now 2006. And he, he says, what are you guys doing? The Constitution, it's clear you've got an obligation to do it. And Cheney, of course, just stares at him. Uh, Cheney's interesting because he's really smart. I mean, he was Islamo-fascist. He really, he really hated uh, the the Islams. I don't know why he was smarter than that. But anyway, he's not dumb. And like his daughter isn't dumb. And so Addington says to him, I don't know if I wrote this or not. I don't remember. Addington says to him, 
I'll tell you what, Congressman, he says, if you don't like it, go in federal court and sue me. And so what they knew is that a Democrat a couple of years in the war going in the court and saying, we're not getting all the secrets is political suicide. So he couldn't do anything. Right. Talk to me about it. Couldn't do anything. So I, what I'm telling you is if you think the system is orderly and wonderful, all these people saying, they, you know, what's the difference? They There's a construct where, and all the military people involved were TDY. You know, if you're there, in, in, if you're in a, a, a bright guy that they needed from one of, the, one of the services, he's just there TDY and the service doesn't know what he's doing. I'm not kidding you. This is a secret operation in Norway. And so there you are. And so, you know, you can quibble about it all the way. The way it was, if the CA is doing an operation that's just classified or highly classified, they can bring in a military unit. And that's why this, the minor, the, the, the divers in Panama City, you don't ever want, or maybe you do want to be in Panama City, but it's uh, 10 years ago, it was a town of 11,000 uh, on the Gulf. There's very good fishing there on the Gulf. And it, it's, what is it, 70 miles from Alabama, 100 miles from Tallahassee. And I, it's full of mosquitoes and hot, you know, but right now it's flourishing. It's tripled. It's a big tourist town now for the fishing, I guess. I don't know what else. Maybe the people like to be hot all the time, full of bugs. <laughs> but anyway, uh, and so, I mean, that's just, the, you know, the reality is the reality, you know, that, that you could do it. But in this case, there was an understanding that the military, a military unit, and the, the the divers are strictly military. They're not special ops. They won't have any. They they don't like the seals. They make fun of the seals because you know, I, as I said, they they said this for days on television. The seals, you know, they're they're swimmers, not divers, and they they go on TV every time they do something. They're talking about the fact that uh, so many of them there were what how, I don't know how many members uh, who were on the raid to kill Osama bin Laden claimed to have fired the first shot. You remember yeah, all that? At least two. Yeah, claimed to have caught him, yeah. Well, it was comical. And others wrote books. All right, so where we are. Well, Well, yeah. So, man, there's so much stuff here. First of all, uh, well, you brought up the sources, so we got to talk about that for a second. In the story, you say, I have one source. And everybody says, well, the rule is you have to have at least two, but you've written... I'm sorry? Why don't you say what I said? Go ahead, what? I, 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 I didn't say I have one source. I said one source who... Okay, well, that's an important point. So that's actually what I'm just trying to set you up to answer. That That's the point. I said a source who had firsthand knowledge. Mm-hmm. That's that's the only way I described it. Okay. But in other words, that doesn't preclude the well, fact that... Trying... All right, all right, all right, all right, Scott, come on. Why did it construct it that way? We're talking about secret meetings. Why, should... why, do we... why would I construct it that way? Because... Everybody, a lot of people, despite, you know, classification, despite all the classification, if, if they go back to an office where they have equally cut people of each equal clearance, they could talk, they could say what happened. There's a lot of people could have could have direct information of it. And there's no sign in that story that the person I was talking to was ever at a meeting. There's not one quote that has them in a meeting, which means they may not have been in the meeting. It means whatever you want. But certainly if you're trying to find who the source is, you have to start with a group of an awful big group. And it's going to be almost impossible to find a source because who knows? Everybody's going to deny not telling. They're all going to say they didn't tell their wives yeah. or their brother-in-laws or their best friend. Or well, what I'm getting the- at, Cy, there is, did you talk to anybody else who confirmed I'm what not, the one why source Why should I ask that question? Why would you ask me that question? 
If, if I'm not talking about it, why do you think I'm going to talk about it to you? Well, I I figure I'd give you a chance is all because, as you know, that's the big criticism. That, yeah. What do I care? I don't know. There was criticism when I did Milan. There was criticism when I said that this that the CIA was when I wrote that the the C, the CIA had been spying on American citizens for six or seven years under Johnson and hundreds of thousands of dossiers. The Washington Post, day in and day out, for three months, wrote how how stupid I was. That could be it was FBI files, and the guy who wrote it was a friend of mine and a great reporter named Larry Stern, who I adored. It was just, maybe I didn't know him that well later, but I certainly didn't hold it against him. But day in and day out, they made fun of me. Uh, oh my God, he's wrong. And then finally the CIA, before Congress, a committee was the church committee, they announced that, yeah, yeah, you know, and well, there were a lot of files, but I had written my, they had, then they attacked me because I used the adjective massive files, massive numbers. Yeah. And they said, well, they're not massive numbers, you know. Well, you understand, hundred. I'm not trying to bust your chops. I'm just trying to give no, you an I'm, opportunity. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm busting you. your chops vicariously on behalf of the others so that you have no, a chance I'm, to I'm, answer you know, us all. Just, you know, I understand. That's a question I get from a lot of people. Sure. But the answer is, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm in business because I don't say anything about right. the people. I don't need to. That right. story I wrote for the New York Times of domestic spying had seven unnamed sources in it. Hmm. And you know something? Not one editor asked me a word about it. I've been at the New York Times then for two or three years. I've written a lot of stories with anonymous sources, and they knew I have people. Yeah. The first the first time, Abe Rosenthal asked me who they were, and I told him, he said, no kidding. Okay? Hey. Okay? No kidding. Yeah. There are people. Scott, listen to me. There are people in the government. In, there's, in every place, there's always people in the intelligence service and even in the electronic intelligence business. There are people, and certainly in the military, and certainly in the State Department, and certainly in other places, where they take the oath of office. It's not to their boss or the general or the admiral or to the president. It's to the Constitution. And there's so many more of those people than you think. Okay? Who will come to, you know, they have to, they have to be sure it's going to be okay. But we'll come and talk. It's full of people. And they were able to, even on that mission, you know, I, I would guess, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I uh, I don't know any, I, you know, uh, you, see, you can see from the quotes that my friend learned to understand that a lot of the people thought it was a very dumb thing that the president had done. And for more than dumb. Mm -hmm. And what it is, uh, he has told Western Europe and Germany, our great allies, that if he was so worried that they would not go all out to support him in a war in the Ukraine, which I think he had reason to believe then and late, we're talking about late September 26, he had reason to believe would not go well. It was going to be much tougher than they thought. That great victory, remember the, 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 when the Russians fell back, they had a unit, a uh, frontline unit that wasn't frontline and it wasn't as powerful as it should be that collapsed and ran away and reorganized. They reconstituted himself. It was a reserve unit. And uh, when the uh, when the Ukrainians just came at them, they 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 ran, and there were pictures galore of of uh, rush of Ukrainian trucks and tanks rolling in open plains. Well, I got to tell you, even though that was a great victory for them, they took back a lot of property. There was a lot of counterattack in terms of missiles and bombs. There was a lot of they didn't get away without getting hurt, and uh, but that didn't mean they didn't reclaim the land. But it just it was clear. That was in the summer that the Russians had held 
and they were going to fight back. They're going to augment people. He did the draft. And I know there was terrible complaining about the draft in Russia. Absolutely. A lot of people ran. But, you know, I don't know how old you are, but I'm old enough to remember when John Hershey was, General John Hershey was chairman of the, uh, in America, of the uh, of the draft board. Um, uh, when the full, when Johnson authorized the first big draft, I think in 066, uh, there was a huge outcry protest. They prosecuted more than 3,000 people for bringing the draft cards, but it was a lot. You know, maybe 20, 30, 40 times as many just ignored it and didn't go to the draft and weren't prosecuted. A lot of guys ran to Canada and there were a lot of people running from the war, too. They, we don't want to talk about these things. So a lot of soldiers went to ended up in Sweden, even in Norway and in uh, uh, in the Baltic states. I remember doing a story for The New York Times about that in the 70s. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's 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 um, the whole you know, are we back to, is it going to be 1914 again? Are we going to blunder into something stupid with nuclear bombs all over the place and a lot of, you know, total angry in Amer anger in America towards Putin? Yeah. You know, what's going to happen? I don't know. Yeah, it, it sure looks like it. Well, folks, sad to say, they lied us into war. All of them. World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq War One, Serbia, Afghanistan, Iraq War Two, Libya, Syria, Yemen. All of them. But now you can get the ebook, All the War Lies, by me for free. Just sign up for the email list at the bottom of the page at scotthorton.org or go to scotthorton.org slash subscribe. Get All the War Lies by me for free. And then you'll never have to believe them again. Hey, y'all, Scott here. Let me tell you about Roberts and Roberts Brokerage, Inc. Who knew? Artificial bank credit expansion leads to price inflation and terribly distorted markets you've got any savings left at all, you need to protect them. You need to put some, at least, into precious metals. Well, Roberts and Roberts can set you up with the best deals on silver, gold, platinum, and palladium. And they've been doing this since 1977. Hey, if you just need some sound advice about sound money, they're there for you too. Call Tim Fry and the guys at 800-874-9760. That's 800-874-9760. Or check them out at rrbi.co. That's rrbi.co. You'll be glad you did. I want to ask you uh, back about the motive again about um, this pipeline. Now, from one point of view, this is a peace pipeline, right? This guarantees this economic interdependence between Germany and Russia, which is in the interest of all of mankind to keep those two from fighting. If you look at the last two times they fought, uh, we definitely want to keep that from happening again. But then, you know, a lot of people portray this as blackmail and leverage. And now Germany is going to completely be owned by uh, Putin and Russia. And, you know, we'll have them by the short hairs and that kind of thing and that kind of control. But then it also seems like and I wonder my question really is if you hear this uh, in Washington, that this is really as um, uh, uh, George Friedman from Stratford put it. This is America's primordial fear, and I guess Britain's too, that you would have this permanent and deep alliance between Germany and Russia. We'd rather have them fight than be best friends because that really freezes us out of influence in Eastern Europe. And from there, as Brzezinski would say, all the pivot points all the way into Central Asia and ruling the world and all of that. And so it seems like 
maybe nipping this thing in the bud before that interdependence gets too deep maybe has a big role in that. But I wonder if you hear people talk like that about it very much. Well, I, I, you put it in, you, you put it accurately, but the language that's been used um, four days after the, um, the uh, they announced that the, um, no, it was announced that the pipelines had been blown up. Um, uh, Tony Blinken, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, in a, in a I, I don't remember, I, I wrote about it, but I think it was in a press conference, uh, said ad hoc, at a meeting, where, in a public meeting ad hoc, just said it all. He, he talked about the destruction and he, and he said, no longer can Russia weaponize gas. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to the Kennedy days when Russia began to sell a lot of natural, they had loaded with natural gas way up there somewhere, somewhere in the east, in the car, in the, you know, somewhere in the Caspian, above the Caspian Sea, some way out there, there are tons of gas. I shouldn't say tons, zillion of tons. And so um, uh, the notion, Jack, the Kennedy administration had a, a concern about weaponization of gas Condoleezza Rice talked about this a lot in the Bush administration, that uh, it's it uh, we have to find a solution to Russia being able to uh, have influence with Germany because of gas and also all of Western Europe because their gas was cheap and, and cleaner. You know, Norway produces gas, but it's not as clean. Uh, the, the gas they're producing, the Russians produce, is quite clean. Uh, just like the oil, the, the, the crude oil from Libya. It was the best crude oil in the world. That's been, you know, Libya's long been up in smoke, but their crude oil, you, you didn't have to do much to refine it, which saved uh, people and ENI and other companies in Italy, which take much of it from a lot of the, a lot of costs. And that, that oil is disappearing or cut back from the market too. So that was the issue. You, the, you, you use different language, but the, the, the word was weaponizing that we didn't want Russia to have influence. That's, and Joe, Biden chaired a committee when he was vice president on that issue. So he was aware of that issue. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that was the thought he had when he bombed it. But that didn't put much confidence in in uh, in Germany and much confidence in Western Europe or NATO even, that he, he didn't think he would be able to sway, persuade him even, even with the, using the gas. He just wanted to keep him from the option of having it. He destroyed something. Was it an act of war? He's not in war with Germany. What, what, can can the stockholders of the company sue? I don't know, unless not unless there's a real finding. And I, as I said, I got to go soon, Scott. My voice is failing. I understand. I, I can say without without any question, I, I, there's not a chance in hell this White House is going to uh, acknowledge it. And I'll tell you how I know. Well, how I think I know, because who knows what I know. Uh, the president... I do know what I'm telling you now. This hasn't happened. Maybe they'll say it has, and I don't know it, but I'm pretty. I'm. I have reason to know. So, uh, four days after the investigation, uh, four days after the bomb gets off, Jake Sullivan has a press conference and he's asked about it. And he, he you know, there's somebody asked about Russia, and he says, "Well, Russia's behaving as if he did." You have to understand, Jake was ran the committee that did the planning for this. So Jake is saying, yes, it sounds like Russia. That's the way Russia behaves, but we don't know for sure. It's sure, they're sure talking like that's the way they behave, and we have to look at it. But he said, but he said, but but uh, our allies, Sweden and Denmark, are doing an investigation. We have to wait for that. And so a month later, Sweden and Denmark, who border countries, who were definitely knew what was going on. I don't, I'll leave it to them to decide how deeply they were involved. I left that a bit opaque because I was asked to. But certainly, uh, come on, give me a break. But anyway, 
they announced that after a month-long investigation, their conclusion was, yes, something was exploded under the ground. It looks like sabotage. That was their conclusion. So what? So he didn't promise an investigation, but the question is, you can ask, so you're the president of the United States, and the, the verb I'm using is the right verb for the in-house verb. He can task, if he wanted to know who did it, he can task the intelligence community. There's something called the Office of National Intelligence, which runs everything. That, that's the big home, poobal of the, of the system. There's His director of intelligence is first rate, and they have access to everything. They can do a study of it. And he could have also asked the DI, the intelligence division of the CIA, the, there's a deal for operations, DI for intel, full of smart guys who do really good analysis, in fact, great analysis. Uh, they're, they're all very interesting uh, stuff. I haven't seen much, in, but in past years, I've seen an awful lot. It gets declassified, it's in histories, and it's solid stuff. You could have asked the DI to do it. There's all sorts of stuff, too. And uh, elsewhere in the CIA, if you've got a covert field in the team, I think it used to be called the C group of Intel, C Intel group. When you have a guys in the field, you know, going, risking their lives, you know, maybe crawling through some field in Russia to get a picture of something, you really have to have tremendous amount of localized uh, Intel to make sure nobody's on them. You know, even local radio stations, I don't know how it works. You have to really protect the Those guys are very good at tactical intelligence. And um, uh, and given what happened, and so the question asked the White House, did you do it? Did you ever task anybody? And you want to know why they didn't task? I can tell you, you know, in three words, you know, well, four words. They knew who did it. It's five words, isn't it? They knew who did it, five words. So, you know, they never asked for an investigation. Who ever heard of a country that says maybe Russia did it? And the first thing you would do is order an all-source investigation. My God, we have, we can go back and find out stuff. We can go back and the to recreate what happened. We 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 copy everything. Right. All the traffic. If you don't think we can recopy a lot of Russian traffic, well, come on, give me a break. We copy a lot of everything. They copy a lot of ours. Yep. All right. On that wonderful cheery note, Scott, a pleasure. Great talking to you. You know what? Let me uh, ask you to indulge me one more question real quick before I let you go. Is that all right, oh, si? Yeah. All right, good. I heard you uh, bring up Bill Clinton bombing Baghdad in 1993. Oh, on. on the oh. Wait, wait, wait. Hear me out now. On the Loria show there over there at Consortium News and how that was good for his uh, credit rating and everything. But the, who, who did I go on with? Uh, Joe, Joe Loria at Consortium News. And you talked know, about I, how how Bill Clinton bombed Baghdad in '93. I'm sorry. Consortium news is I always thought it was somebody else. It was um, well, it used to be Bob Perry, but he died. But Joe Loria is the. Oh the yeah! Oh that. yeah! I told he, that. Yeah, I did it the other day. You brought that up to him the other day. Bob, Bob, Bob Perry, I think you'll agree, was a really good guy. He really was. Yeah, I interviewed I, him a million times. Right. He seems like an okay guy, but yeah, uh, Joe, Bob great. Perry, I did. I did that. I would always talk to Bob Perry yeah. because he broke he broke the uh, the uh, he broke the original Watergate story, did he not? Was, oh yeah. Was oh, it? and he was absolutely uh, great on. He, he broke Iran Contra. He did Iran Contra. He broke Iran Contra, and he got fired for it. Oh yeah. Uh -huh. And he was absolutely great on Iraq War Two and on Syria yeah, and on. Ukraine. What, but what, but what wait, there's a there's a there's a point here, which is. Uh, in my book that I wrote, you were a major uh, source. You broke the story. A lot of people don't know this. You broke the story about how the assassination attempt against H.W. Bush in Kuwait was a giant hoax perpetrated by the Kuwaitis. And that's such a huge and important story. And I was just wondering if you could give us a comment on that. Well, I mean, what happened is we... we, we, we <laughs> 
when Bush went, what Bush did after he got out of office, if you remember, the first Gulf War. Yeah, I Desert mean, Storm. Yeah, Desert Storm, I think we called it. If you remember, we ended the war in about three days because every the 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 Iraqi army was in complete disarray and they were they were uh, they were running they were on a highway and we were strafing them and Colin Powell to his everlasting credit said we got we can't do this America we can't have American pilots going gunning down soldiers running away shooting them in the back so we stopped it and we had a peace treaty and and so and so. <laughs> That was a big victory for Bush one. So when he got out of office and Clinton won, about three months later, he organized a, 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 the Kuwaitis wanted a, a victory trip. And uh, so they loaded a plane, America, Bush and his people loaded a plane full of people, including um, Jim Baker, who, who was a decent secretary, say very good. He was then working for Exxon and his two sons were there. And they landed in Kuwait City, and the uh, the boys go out. They want they're looking for Coca Cola contracts, and and Jim Baker rep, represented Exxon, and he did get an eight hundred million dollar contract for Exxon for do some work for the oil fields in Kuwait. And everybody got a gold Rolex watch, a solid gold one from everybody. Norm Schwarzkopf said to me, <laughs> "I like Norm. He was he ran the Gulf War. I knew when he was a three star out in California. I spent time with him once." A very, he's a very straight guy. And I called him up initially. I called him up about doing that story, and he said, "Hell no!" He said, "We lost eight boys there, and I'm gonna, I'm not gonna go get some gold on the back of the boys." He said, "I thought that was the dumbest thing to do." And about two weeks later, he calls me back, and he said, "Oh man, Cy, I don't know how they know about it, but they know I talked to you, and I know what I said. Can you, can you forget about it, or just say?" I didn't want to go because I thought it was, you know, something. Like, so I sure I did that. I remember that vividly. You know, he's just so saying, "I." What are these guys doing? You know, we lost guys in that war going for a victory dance. And so you get there and then they claimed that there was a that there's, Saddam Hussein had a team that was going to try and assassinate him. They were there with a bomb. And so I about a, <laughs> I learned from somebody what Hokum that was. So I went out there and I went to Kuwait and they and people talked to me about it, it was all just just to take the edge off the story about the money. <laughs> That's so funny. I, I like Baker. I thought Baker, I, I have to say this. Baker was, when he was Secretary of State, uh, he, he came the closest to doing something serious about the Middle East. Yeah. At the Middle East Conference in 1991. Right. No American Secretary of State has done anything, anything close to that. We got a disaster there now because of our lack of policy. But Jim Baker, I, I can, I can give it for that. But I want to tell you something. Jim Baker did the, the gutsiest thing. It probably cost Bush the election. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he was there and he was mad at me because I wrote about him. Yeah. Or well, I wasn't going to write about him. Bush but Senior so actually thought that cost him the election that they had done the good thing at Madrid there. That's true. I also well, wanted I, to point out, you say in that story, in that New Yorker story, that it was the same guy whose daughter had pretended to be the nurse at the hospital who saw the babies thrown out of their incubators. He was the same guy who announced this bomb plot in 93, two years later. Is that right? Three oh, my God. It was such a bad story. So poorly covered up. And so and it was bought, bought by the, the Western press. And um, uh, it, I, I just did the forensics on it, even in terms of a DEA guy looking at the bomb they claimed. They claimed they found a special bomb. And I found somebody who from somebody in the bomb business who said, yeah, it's special. There were 500 made of this particular bomb. <laughs> yeah. 500,000 made of these the standard bomb and they were claiming this is a special bomb and nobody checks anything you know what right. can i tell you yeah. look 
I get yelled at because they claim I was soft on Bashar in um in I wrote a story for the London Review that was soft on Bashar because he was accused of using nerve gas against his people. And so I, I since I know nobody reads anything, it was a big long London Review piece in which I I went back, I looked at the other day because I was sure I was right. That it began with this. It was a story I said. I said, uh, Obama. Um, we got to admit, Obama, who memoir is has the stuff I know about is about one percent accurately, but that's all right. He he sold a lot of copies. I, I I thought Obama. I gave him a pass the first term. I I I started jumping out his bone the second term because he didn't do a thing. He was very from day one. He didn't stop Guantanamo when he said he would, and he was all in on the Afghan war. Yeah. Well, and by Libya, the way, that's how bold Biden was. And I just want to tell you. So I looked at the story the other day at London Review, and it begins with this. It says in the first paragraph, "Hey." Uh, no question Syria was a suspect because they have chemical and biological warfare. Nerve gas was used and killed. The, the press said 1,500, but the UN said later 140, but one would be too many. Uh, the point is you can't say only. But, and so there was a lot of problems with it. And, uh, and my story said this. The White House says that, uh, but it says that Syria was responsible. They had nerve gas and they did it. But what they didn't tell you was that three months earlier, there was a top secret finding that I had, and I mentioned, and I wrote stuff out, even though it, I, I included some signal NSA stuff and stuff from Mossad. It was a Mossad joint NSA, incredibly brilliant report. But three months earlier, they were a panic in the city because Saudi Arabia and Turkey were shipping what they call the the the, the chemical and the organophosphate, the chemical, the, uh, an alcohol and organic, like a, a like a souped up. Um, 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 stuff you use for fertilizer, organophosphates. But it was if you mix those two in the right way, you get a very called kitchen sarin. If you don't know what you're doing, you're dead right away. But they were shoving. We discovered that the opposition, Al Nusra, then it, the follow-on to Al Qaeda, uh, ISIS, Al Nusra. But they were there fighting Bashar. Um, it was a civil war basically between Bashar was even though he was he was um, uh, uh, he got more than 50% of the Muslim vote in every election he had. But I don't know what that means in the Middle East. He was, of course, not, uh, whatever, he was a, a different sect, but he wasn't Muslim and he wasn't Shia. Um, I've forgotten the name for the, the Alawites. Group, yeah, that's right. 12% of the population. And uh, he was his father's son and he was interesting. He got smart and he was tough. Yeah. He got tough. But anyway, the point is that there was so much of it. In the enemy's hands, this and I had this report. I got it before I wrote the story, and that they uh, Norm Dempsey, then was chairman of the Joint Chiefs, he did a study in order to clean out the stuff. We figured as many as sixty thousand troops. That's where it was when the attack took place. That was immediately credited to Bashar. So my story in the London Review a year later said in the first paragraph, "Hey, folks." I'm not saying who did it, but I'm telling you that the White House, the Obama White House, only told you about one suspect when they had two. And if that's kissing the butt of Bashar Assad, I don't know what is. That's not true. So no, the story that they keep on saying, well, he screwed up on stories. It was the love for Osama that, uh, you know, a love for a love for him. That was, you know, just there was a love for him in the press. This is this. On this war, there seems to be a love for him and in my old newspapers and and the magazines, and I don't know why. Yeah, but you know. All right. Uh, well, listen. I know you got to go, site and I got to go. But I have to. I got to go by now. My plane's left, and it's yeah, it's exactly. landed all in, in uh, Florida. <laughs> 
Good. Well, well listen, I'm, I have I'm, to say this on the record just so people know. I still think it's the most important piece that you wrote in the last 20 years, the redirection about uh, oh switching back to Al-Qaeda after fighting for Iran in Iraq. It's such a good piece. I think it's the key to American foreign policy in the Middle East post-Iraq War II. Let me say something, Scott. Okay. That piece was written in 07 for yeah. the New Yorker. Was re-syndicated more and repurchased than anything I did in my career, even Milan. Oh, that's great to hear because oh, I really oh, think it's so foundational. It's just well, it's, it was about the decision we made that was still in existence. We're supporting the Sunnis. We're going after the Shia. Right. That's it. And that's all it said. And it was right there, in black and white. Yep. But it was. I so hope you're not mad at how lengthily I block quoted it in my book because I told people uh, this is the key to understanding American foreign policy in the Middle East after Iraq War II. How to make got, up for that big now, blunder? Well, listen, we got another key. It's called the pipeline. Mm -hmm. And what he did, I think it's going to be a crucial point. What I don't know what's going to happen. I've been. I don't talk to politicians. The the Bundestag, the parliament there, but five six people have talked to me. The Max Planck Institute is going to do something. I, I'm not doing anything. I just writing. Yep. You know, but I'm right. I'm writing more. I'm, I'm writing another piece that's not going to help anybody soon in another week. Great, great. The more the merrier. Goodbye, buddy. All right. Thank you, Sai. Good to talk to you, buddy. Bye. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK ninety point seven FM in LA, APSRadio.com, AntiWar.com, ScottHorton.org, and LibertarianInstitute.org.